It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Aha, ha, ha, ha. Yeah! What it do, baby? Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 747 of Locked On Raptors for. Wednesday? Yeah, I'm losing track of days. Wednesday, July the 22nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Lockdown Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Also, please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Lockdown Podcast Network as we gear you up for the long-awaited return of sports. Very exciting stuff. And uh, on our national shows, actually, we have uh, some pretty great stuff for you to check out. We've got the the NHL previews going on on the national show. All the local hosts are stopping in over the course of the next week and a half to see up their teams ahead of the playoffs. On the baseball network, all the local hosts have checked in Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for some crash courses. Crash courses, that's a hard word to say, on what the uh, various teams around MLB have been doing and what to expect from them in the shortened 60-game MLB season. Going to be super weird and very exciting, so make sure you're following along over on Locked on MLB and the corresponding local shows for any team that you want root for in particular aj andrews hosts locked on blue jays she was on the podcast last week as we did the toronto sports roundtable highly recommend you go check out locked on blue jays all right on today's show we are joined by uh one of again the just like indispensable members of raptors internet one of the smartest people out there covering the raptors it is our pal brad vermont from too much hoops how are you buddy pretty good how are you I'm good, man. Uh, it's nice to have you back on the show, this time with actual basketball to talk about. <laughs> and on today's show, we are going to be diving into uh, sort of some questions. And I'm going to start this over the course of the next few weeks, actually, or next couple weeks before games start, diving into some pressing questions facing the Raptors as they gear up to return. And the question that Brad has presented to me today to discuss is, what are the roles for a few particular Raptors, uh, namely Serge Ibaka, Norman Powell, and Terrence Davis, once we get into the NBA restart? Uh, we'll talk about sort of the difference in role between the eight-game preseason-ish thing that they're going to be playing to get ready for the playoffs, and then obviously once we get to the playoffs, rotation shortened, things get a little bit more real, and uh, the roles in which these guys are going to be used, it's kind of up in the air and a little unclear, and the decisions are made more difficult by the fact that they've all been freaking awesome this season, which is one of them good problems. But uh, Brad, let's start off today by talking about Serge Ibaka, who has been a revelation this season. His three-point shooting has bounced back from the high 20s last season to, I think, exactly 40% or just a hair below 40% this season, bombing away from above the break. He's still a mid-range assassin with the pick and poppy runs with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. He has been tremendous this season. His defense has also been great. He's been a great anchor when he's been out there uh, in place of Marcus Saul as a backup to Marcus Saul, sometimes playing with Marcus Saul, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But for you, where does Serge Ibaka fit into... 
like, let's not really worry about the eight games because I don't know how seriously they're going to be taking those. And we don't know how deep they're going to run. I would assume pretty deep and we'll see some, you know, end of bench guys get some run there. But Abaka is obviously part of the trusted seven or eight that is going to be part of the playoff rotation. I'm curious, how do you think he will be best used and how do you think Nick Nurse will deploy him in the postseason? Well, the first thing I looked at when, when thinking about this was I just went back and looked sort of at how he was used last year. Um, and last year, he played about 21 minutes per game in the playoffs. And I sort of thought in my head that it was more than that. Um, but yeah, just about 20 minutes a game and then 9.4 points per game. And about half of his games were in the range of like 10 to 15 points. Um, and, and that is a little bit more limited than what I thought he did last year in the playoffs. Um, this year, you know, it'll be he and Gasol splitting basically all the center minutes. Mm -hmm. So if you figure there's about 48 minutes between them, that means if Gasol gets about 28, that means there's 20 left over for surge plus whatever time they share the floor together. Um, which I think maybe in the range of like five minutes per game, uh, on average, I think a lot of series, we won't see that at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when, and when it comes, it'll probably be more than five minutes a game. So on average. Um, and so I see him sort of coming off the bench, not, not doing anything huge. I think he'll only average probably about 10 points per game or something like that. But, uh, he, he really makes his biggest impact. I find when he can get a, a bit of a size advantage, right. uh, whether that's in transition or the other team is just playing too small of a lineup and he can get some of those little chip and uh, putbacks or get really deep post position. Uh, but unfortunately for the Raptors, there aren't a, ton of small teams <laughs> in their way right now um i think you know the, the first round is going to be kind of whatever for the raptors i don't think it's going to be a problem um but I, I think uh in terms of who he can do the most damage against it, it looks to me like it's going to be boston um because they don't have a ton of size in their in their front court it's basically daniel tice mm -hmm. and then you know jason tatum i guess is is their nominal power forward or gordon hayward it doesn't matter um, but, uh, once you go to the bench, it's like one of the Williams, uh, Grant or Robert Williams, maybe. Uh, but, uh, he, he's got a, a pretty good size advantage and, and he's quite mobile as well. So I, I look to him to do the most damage against Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think Milwaukee will be a, a tricky matchup for him to do, to do a lot really. Um, yeah. because they're just so massive around the basket, which is where his, you know, his mid range and, and three point shooting would potentially come in handy. Uh, but I think he had that game against the Bucks earlier this season where he was like one for 11 or something. Mm -hmm. um, and Gasol didn't play that game. So maybe a few of those attempts go to Gasol, stuff like that. But, uh, but I think he's going to be big for getting past Boston for sure. Yeah, so we'll get to Milwaukee in a sec. I just kind of wanted to talk generally about Serge. I'm surprised too, like you, to sort of look back and see that, yeah, he was not, you know, overly utilized in last year's playoffs. And I think we kind of, maybe conflate his role in the rotation a little bit because of, you know, the, not, not in conflate, inflate what <laughs> in our brains, whatever his role was, because, um, you know, there was the fact that he had like those big moments, right? He had game seven against the Sixers where he was incredible, where they played big for a lot of that game. You had uh, game four against the Warriors where he really, really took over down the stretch and was like him and Kawhi basically carried the offense and put the Raptors ahead in that one for good. And so he had these, had these like very standout moments and he's such like a larger than life personality that he feels like he's out there a lot more than he is. 
But I agree. I think we'll probably see him around that 20 to 25 minute range again. The thing that gives me some hope, though, is that he's been just like way more consistent this season from everywhere, whether it's mid-range, whether it's from three, whether it's on defense and just like his effort. Like he's just been much better anytime he checks in and has worked just fine as the the center in bench lineups and stuff like that or in the starting lineup when Gasol's been out. And so I think we're likely to see more productive 20 to 25 minutes a game from Serge Ibaka than we did last year just because he was very up and down and the playoffs were a little bit janky for a lot of that bench and I mean for that entire Sixers series no one on the bench was good until Serge in game seven so I think I'm just like I think there's going to be a higher floor for Serge Ibaka just based on his track record this season obviously we have no idea uh, how the layoff is going to impact things but you know I, I do think that there's reason to be hopeful that he's going to be quite effective when he does get in there for the Raptors this year in the postseason. And I, I like the point you made about Boston. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think the size advantage against Boston is going to be pretty enormous in terms of just sort of solving that series. And whether it's a Bach at the four with, with, a, with Siakam at the, sorry, a Bach at the five with Siakam at the four, maybe you try to put the Celtics on their heels a bit and see if you can swing a Bach at the four and throw him on at Hayward or something like that. That might be a little bit risky, but I think they might try it just to see because if you have enormous players out there up against a smaller Boston team, you can kind of bludgeon them in other ways. And maybe that's a, a trade-off they're willing to make. It's, uh, it's really interesting. And I, I think that Celtics matchup is, is kind of tailor-made for him just because of the size you mentioned. That said, I do think his like greatest importance will be in that Bucks series if it does happen in the conference finals because the Bucks are a team that like to give up mid-range shots. They like to give up above the break threes. They really, you know, hone in on the corners and around the rim, which obviously Ibaka is good around the rim, but really where he sets himself apart from the rest of the Raptors is his mid-range proficiency. The fact that he has been bombing threes from above the break at such a high clip this year. And I wonder if maybe he is kind of the key. You know, you mentioned the one game where he was one of 11, but he's also had a lot of games against Milwaukee in the last couple of years where he's been incredible. I think he had a 30-point game against them uh, last season when Kawhi was out and that was sort of in his really early season run of being excellent. And I just feel like the fact that he is some, someone that the Bucks are often comfortable giving those shots to, obviously he has to hit them, but he's hit them so effectively all season long outside of, I guess, that one Bucks game that I feel reasonably confident that he can be a bit of a way around what the Bucks do defensively. He's not Kawhi from the mid-range, obviously, and the Raptors will have to manufacture other stuff from the mid-range and hope Pascal's come a long way there if they want to sort of take advantage of the soft spots in the Bucks defense. But I don't know, what do you think about Abaka and his importance? Like, does he have to be at his sort of peak shot-making ability if the Raptors have any chance against Milwaukee? I think against Milwaukee, it's going to be – I don't think it's going to fall necessarily to any one player because really what the Bucks are going to do is they're going to give up a ton of, as you say, mid-range and three-pointers. Uh, they give up almost the most three-pointers in the league. And, and people are just going to have to knock shots down. And I don't think it's going to be, you know, Fred needs to hit eight threes a game or something or, or Serge needs to put up, put up ten threes a game. It's just going to have to be kind of a, a collective effort because the big thing that is missing from last season is, is just Kawhi's volume field goal attempts and scoring. Um, there's nobody who can do what he does uh, at just at the same volume possession after possession. And so those, those are going to have to get distributed around. And Serge, I don't think he needs to come through with like 15 points night in, night out. Mm -hmm. But I want to see him, you know, with games where he has – you know, maybe 15 to 20 points here and there 
and, and he just needs to be solid. And one of the things that, that gives me a little bit more uh, excitement to see him against Milwaukee is I think his uh, passing has taken a big step up this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that will potentially be another tool. If he does have those games where he hits a couple shots in a row and starts feeling it, um, that might open up some back cuts and stuff like that or, or uh, weak side threes. Um, so that, that could be big as well. Totally. Uh, a very important player, Serge Ibaka. Uh, quickly, in terms of the super big lineup, you mentioned we don't think we'll see that much in a lot of these series. Um, I kind of, you know, I was actually at a, at a practice today that Nick Nurse uh, apparently mentioned that he had tried out a, a big lineup with Norm and Pascal as the backcourt with OG, uh, yeah, with OG, Ibaka, and Gasol up front. That's fun and weird. Uh, I'm not sure how much I trusted in a, in a playoff game with Pascal having the reins of the offense. But I mean, when you have Gasol and Norm out there, that's a little bit of extra creation and, and sort of ball security that you would have in those guys. Um, so maybe it's worth a shot. I think we'll certainly see it in the lead up to the playoffs, definitely, because why not just use those eight games as a canvas to get weird? Um, do you envision that big lineup kind of having the same effect it had against the Sixers last year, for example? Do you think we'll see it very much? And, you know, which matchup do you think it'd be most suited towards? I'm not 100% sure about that particular lineup with, with Norm and Siakam, but I could see Norm being replaced with Lowry or Van Vliet uh, or, or OG being replaced with Lowry or Van Vliet and sort of going that way with the two bigs. I could see it being effective against the, uh, the Sixers if they have limited shooting on the floor. You can sort of sag off of Embiid and Simmons a little bit and then uh, and not get too worried about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a tough one against the Bucks because they do have so much perimeter shooting this season in particular. Um, but uh, I, I think I would expect it to see it most against the Sixers. And then if they get to the finals, I wonder if that could be something that they roll out against the Lakers or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, just because I think the Lakers are going to roll out uh, some big lineups <laughs> with like AD, Dwight, LeBron, KCP, and Danny Green, maybe. Um, with LeBron running the point, and and uh, and he he could definitely be useful in that arrangement. Uh, against Milwaukee, I don't think it'll be a staple. I think it might be something where you know Nurse is just feeling it a little bit and and runs with that lineup for a couple minutes here and there. Um, but I don't know if it'll be uh, something they they look to use until a little bit later into the series, maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the real sort of weak spot there is having one of Serge or Mark have to defend in space, which like, you know, in a pinch, I'm sure they can do, but I'm not sure you want that to be, you know, an every possession kind of thing. And so I guess it'll depend like how dangerous is the four that you're sticking Serge on and how much is he going to uh, stretch Serge out and stuff like that. And that might be kind of what determines it. And that's why I think that Sixers matchup definitely makes sense for. Um, I also just hope they like try to do it once in a while just to throw another team off. Like I mentioned with the Celtics, like put them on their heels and, you know, kind of zig while everyone else is zagging and see if you can get away with being enormous. And and this is also to say like, they're pretty big anyway <laughs> like they're, like, yeah. the, like the OG Siakam Gasol you know it's like 6869 and 71 i mean that's bigger than most 345s in the nba in 2020 so they don't necessarily have to have surgeon there to play big as it were but it is an interesting wrinkle and it does seem to work uh in certain matchups so i hope we do see it at some point because it's weird and fun and i like weird and fun um we're going to continue on and we're going to take a look at what Norm Powell's role in the Raptors is going to be in the postseason in just a second but first i 
want to tell people to check out Locked On Lakers with Anthony Irwin. That podcast, of course, covers the team that the Raptors will be playing in their first game on August 1st in the NBA restart. So if you want to get a read on the Lakers, a potential finals matchup, as Brad just alluded to, uh, go listen to Locked On Lakers with Anthony Irwin. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Brad, let's uh, take a look at Norm Powell, who has been absurd this season, the reigning Eastern Conference Player <laughs> of the Week, of course. I should have said that off the top. That is his standing title. Um, he's, he's great. Also, I, I, are they going to give Players of the Week in this eight-game restart? I would I guess know. probably, but maybe not. And maybe Norm holds on to that title for like eight months. I don't know. Wow. That'd be fun. Um, <laughs> but in terms of Norm's role, it's interesting because he does offer, I think, something that the Raptors lack a little bit in that, you know, he is event creation. He is a guy who can create something from nothing just with his first step. He's gotten much better in terms of his driving kick passing. His finishing around the rim is just like absurd at this point. He's got all the angles down. He's, he's patient. He's not just going in like rookie Norm Powell and trying to finish with the left hand in a straight line and often just breaking it off the back of the backboard. Um, he's, he's got a whole bunch of moves around there now, and he's just become a really efficient the score that said you know the Raptors have a really good starting five and Fred Van Vliet is extremely important in a lot of matchups he's a wonderful defender he allows Kyle Lowry to hang out off ball and do his free safety stuff you know it's important to have Fred in there and there's definitely a downgrade in on-ball defense from Fred to Norm my question to you is Brad do we see Norm close clutch games? You know, I mean, I guess this might be a game-to-game thing depending on the matchup, but if Nick Nurse had his way, do you think Norm is part of the, the, the closing five in, in, any, in, in most cases, or is that still going to go to Fred? I think it probably will still go to Fred. I think there are situations uh, where we might even see a lineup of Lowry, Fred, and Norm, and OG is out, depending on how, how badly we need his uh, wing defense. Um, so I, I could see both of them closing out depending on the situation. Um, Norm's been really good this year, shooting 40% from three again. Uh, but the, the big thing I looked, he's going to have to expand his, his playoff role, which to me means he sort of needs to, to prove it again. Like he, he was very functional last year in the playoffs, uh, but he also wasn't asked to do a lot. He averaged 16 minutes a game and 6.5 points per game. He only had five games where he scored over 10, uh, and he barely played in the finals. So, so really, the Raptors are asking him to step up in a big way this season. Um, and, and he sort of needs to – I mean, he's shown that he can perform in the playoffs, but he needs to show that he can perform as like a 30-minute-per-game guy. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a bit of a taller ask. Um, I, I, I trust that he can do it. And one of the matchups I think could be interesting for him uh, like you mentioned, Fred VanVleet, the thing that he really brings is that on-ball defense. Um, and so the matchup where I would look for Norm to make the biggest impact, predictably, is against the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Not just because he always destroys the Bucks, <laughs> but but uh, but because Fred VanVleet's like on-ball defense might not be quite as necessary because there's not like a Kemba Walker uh, dominating the ball a little bit more. Um, you know, he can he can hide on Bledsoe a little bit or uh, D up, you know, Wes Matthews or whoever. 
So that will be the series where I look for him to make the biggest impact uh, compared to a series like against, say, the Celtics, mm-hmm. where you put him on, and even though he's bigger than Van Vliet, uh, the, the Celtics wings of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward all still have a bit of a size advantage on Norm. Um, so I, I don't see him fully neutralizing that. Uh, and, and so I, I think, uh, yeah, I think the Bucks will be the, the series where he has the biggest impact. I don't want to lean fully into this take because it's probably wrong, but I could see a world in which Norm plays more minutes in the postseason than Fred Van Vliet. And that's because two of the matchups that they might come across, I mean, I, I guess it totally depends how uh, this, like the first round goes, but if you get that Celtic Sixers first round series and the Sixers win it, which they very well could do because of the size disadvantage that Boston has in that matchup. And, you know, Philly's had a lot of success in that one. Uh, like, I think against the Sixers, Norm makes a lot of sense. And we saw last year, just the size really bothered Fred and and made him difficult. And it's hard to have two six-footers out there against the Sixers. They're freaking enormous. And I think because the Sixers are such a good half-court team, and this also applies to the Bucs, who are the best half-court defense team, I think... You know, one of the concerns, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow, actually, with Yasmin when she's on the podcast. We're going to talk about the Raptors' half-court offense and whether it can hold up. I do think... Norm kind of offers a bit of a solution to the lack of very obvious creation. You know, obviously Pascal can do some stuff. You know, Mark can create from the elbows and stuff like that. Kyle's got his his first step, uh, you know, back in gear. But no one really has the first step like Norm does. And that just sort of straight line driving, I think, is going to be really important just to kind of get defenses moving and shifting and uh, hopefully compromise the Sixers and Bucks in the half court. And so I could totally see Norm getting more run if the Sixers end up being a matchup in round two or, or they go on to play the Bucks. And, and I mean, even against Boston, who are, again, a very good half-court defense team, and maybe Jalen Brown at the two is a little bit too big for Fred to hang with as well. I, I don't know. Do you, is there anything to that? Am I totally insane saying Norm might play more than Fred? But I, I mean, I, it feels I insane, it, but I don't know. I don't think it's totally insane. Um, he's, he's averaging quite a few minutes this year. Uh, let me see what he's got here. Yeah, I mean, he's averaging 29 minutes, and I think Fred's averaging 35, so that wouldn't yeah. need to change much for it to be a difference. Um, in terms of the matchup against the Sixers, I think if the Sixers are really going to shake Milton at point guard, that could potentially be beneficial for the Raptors. Right. Um, just because now you're, you're basically you're swapping Al Horford for shake Milton, and I, I, I mean, Norm's shake Milton is quite tall. Uh, but nor it's not like Norm's going to be blocking his shots on the perimeter and Fred mm-hmm. Van Vliet has the ability to put so much pressure at the point of attack. I think that could be disruptive against somebody who has never started as a point guard in the NBA. Right. Um, so, so that was something I was thinking about, but, but the thing that does really set Norm apart for me, and, and I think this is especially true in the Sixers series where they have some size is the Raptors don't have a ton of explosive jumpers. Um, you know, you got Lowry, Bambly, OG, Gasol, Ibaka, Siakam is an explosive jumper, but really, I mean, the top eight guys doesn't really have that. Uh, Terrence Davis does a little bit, but again, he's a little bit smaller. And, um, yeah, so I, I can see, especially if Siakam starts to get double teamed, Norm cutting down the weak side and trying to, trying to challenge, uh, Joel Embiid Hmm. rotating over that could, uh, that could be very valuable. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm glad I'm not insane. That's that's always good to know. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it just Fred was such a, a boss in the final part of the playoffs last year that it feels crazy to think that he wouldn't play a ton. But, you know, there's a, there's a world in which the size becomes a little bit much for him to handle. And, again, I think Norm offers a bit more in terms of creation and stuff like that for a team that might, that, that might be its biggest glaring weakness right now is half-court creation. So just the, the keep other, an eye on that. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing about their their half court offense needing a little bit of help too is I think this season we didn't sort of get to see the full the full rotation ever mm-hmm. <laughs> because of injuries, and so I think Norm's creation gains more value in those situations, right? Because you know you have Patrick McCaw or you have Rondé Hollis Jefferson or Chris Boucher on the floor, and it's like, well, those guys for sure aren't creating. But if theoretically we're mostly going to be playing the top seven guys, Norm's value as a creator isn't necessarily as as valuable simply because he'll be on the floor with like Siakam and family or, you know, Mark and Lowry all the time. That's a so, very, uh, very good point. Yeah. Sorry. Carry, carry on. No. So that that's just uh, that that's a. A bit of a thought I had about that. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's well put and uh, very interesting to think about. And uh, what also is interesting to think about is who's going to be. You mentioned the seven-man rotation that is likely entrenched. Who's the eighth man? That is a question that uh, maybe Nick Nurse already has the answer to because of blackmail or something. Um, but there's another guy who's not Patrick McCaw in Terrence Davis who could potentially be that eighth guy. And I think most people want to be that eighth guy. We're going to talk about Terrence Davis in just a second. But first, I want to remind people to check out the Locked On MLB show that is covering the baseball return daily with Sully, the host over there. And, of course, the last three days we had the MLB re-preview specials that you should go and check out if you want to get reacquainted with all of the teams ahead of baseball's restart. I'm quite excited. We get baseball on Friday. It's weird. The Blue Jays are playing at Pittsburgh now, but uh, still lots of stuff to, to get excited for over there. So go and listen to Locked On MLB. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Brad, let's uh, take a look at Terrence Davis, shall we? He, I think, like I said, most people want him to be the number eight guy in the rotation. He feels more talented, uh, especially offensively, than Patrick McCaw. He seems like he fits a little bit more. The fact that he's a, a pretty good shooter and, again, sort of offers some creation and off-the-bounce juice is very exciting, whereas Patrick McCaw has juice for making the next pass, and that's kind of it on the offensive end, um, although he did shoot pretty well from three this year. So kudos to three-time champion Patrick McCaw for that. Um, 
where do you think Terrence Davis fits in here, Brad? I, I'm trying to figure it out. I, I don't really know if we, is it, is it even worth having the conversation of who the eighth guy is? Is Nick Nurse just going to ride seven guys after a four month break and hope that the, the seven guys are good enough to carry most of the minutes? I'm not sure, but where do you hope and envision, and envision Terrence Davis fitting in here uh, in the Raptors rotation in the postseason? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's going to be interesting because I'm not 100% convinced that Terrence Davis will see a ton of minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't shock me. I, I, so I went, this might be useful to talk about. I went through the Raptors rotation to sort of figure out where the 240 minutes are going to be allocated, um, which was, was a pretty instructive exercise. So I had Siakam and Lowry getting 38 minutes, Fred getting 35, OG and Norm getting 30, Gasol 28, Serge 25. And that only leaves 17 minutes a game left over for right. Terrence Davis, McCaw, whoever. And I, I won't be shocked, basically, if Terrence Davis and McCaw each wind up with half of those. Right. And we get uh, a, a bit of a nine-man rotation. But I think, like you mentioned, once it gets down to the conference finals and potentially the finals, I think that's going to tighten up. And it'll be like, you know, there might be five minutes a game where, one of the, where they get into that eighth man. Because uh, I just can't see it being huge. And, and I mean, for comparison, last season, Norm was the eighth man. He averaged 16 minutes a game and six and a half points per game. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if Terrence Davis can get, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a game and, and average, you know, six points a game, that, that would be fantastic. Mostly what the Raptors need from him is, is just not to make defensive mistakes because with how rotation heavy their defense is, those mistakes get out of hand really quickly. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think you know you could even in that minutes breakdown you you laid out there you could even add some to like OG like the thirty you mentioned I, like that could be thirty four thirty five and I think I'd be pretty happy with that honestly because his defense is so valuable. Uh, I think you'll probably see Siakam in a lot of games inch over forty as well. So yeah, we're not talking about a lot of minutes here that are available. In terms of the McCaw versus Davis thing, like, yeah, the arguments, it's very much an offense versus defense thing, right? I think McCaw, for all of his uh, his foibles, is certainly a, a very good defender, a good team defender. He's pretty smart, doesn't get too out of position, whereas Terrence Davis, that's his big thing, right? Is he'll He's a little bit jumpy. He's a little bit skittish. He'll kind of, you know, pick up fouls that are unnecessary and, and kind of over overestimate himself a little bit in terms of his ability for steals and all that stuff but he also like again to go back to the norm thing has that off the bounce creation if you need it right like he can you know catch the ball on a a spot up and drive it and and keep the offense flowing he can hit a three he can dunk on someone's dome like he can do all that stuff that McCaw uh, just isn't really interested in doing basically Um, in terms of those two guys like do you have a preference as, as to who plays more? Um, you know, would you rather see those spare minutes saved for one of the, like the weirdo bigs off the bench and sort of mix <laughs> them in? Um, you know, I, I could totally see the argument. Like I think Terrence Davis is a big part of this team going forward. Obviously I think he's uh, yeah. a really nice piece to have for, if you're trying to recruit for a couple of years from now and you can hopefully have him on some sort of reasonable contract, it'll be a second contract ideally uh, or in theory, but you know, he's still probably isn't going to cost you uh, like the max or anything like that. Um, so I think he has a long-term future in Toronto for sure. I'd, I'm just a little curious as to maybe there are other guys who you prefer or who Nick Nurse prefers just considering the value that is placed on defense for this team. I do think Rondé will see some minutes um, throughout the course of the, of the playoffs. I think probably mostly in the first two rounds. Um, 
I, I, in terms of a weird bigs. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, in the same way that Norm's uh, shot creation was more important in the regular season, I think McCaw's offensive limitations got more exposed during the regular season mm-hmm. because oftentimes he was sharing the floor with a Rondé or Chris Boucher or whoever. Um, and, and so if he's going to be on the floor with four other solid offensive players the whole time, maybe his lack of shooting and, and general offensive ability will matter less. Um, but that being said, I mean, he's just a guy you can stag off of. And if that clogs the lane for Siakam or Norm or whoever, um, that's, that would potentially be a problem. Uh, so, per, I mean, personally, I would like to see Terrence Davis taking more of those minutes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to depend basically how he does defensively. And I think, like you mentioned, the big thing for him is I would just like to see him play a little bit more conservatively defensively. Like, never try to block a shot. Don't worry too much about steals. Just, like, be in the right place and between mm-hmm. your man and the basket. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's a lot to ask also with the, the complex – system that the Raptors play too there's there's so many rotations and and so much decision making that you need to be good at yeah bear in mind the fact that Terrence Davis a rookie has been able to hack it with this like insanely complex defense the Raptors run this season and not compromise it entirely when he's out there is a success story in its own and he's a rookie he'll get better at it he'll get more refined Nick Nurse will yell at him more I'm sure uh and and get that stuff fixed up but yeah Yeah, in terms of yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Here's uh, uh, Blake Murphy had an article on The Athletic today. And any four of the top seven with McCaw, so that they played 274 minutes and the net rating was minus 2.27. Mm-hmm. Any four of the top seven with Davis played 160 minutes and they were a plus 19. <laughs> so we're talking about a 20-point swing in terms of net rating. Uh Obviously, that looks better for Davis. It's also limited sample size. Like, we shouldn't go crazy about any of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, that, I mean, that's sort of what you're looking at. And, and that does sort of address who's on the floor with them as well. Um, so, so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's why my inclination is towards Davis. Yeah, you mentioned the small sample sizes. I found that's a really funny thing about preparing for this is that like all of the Raptors lineup data is absolutely useless from this yeah. year because yeah. no one was available. I think they their 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 top five, like their their opening day starting five, played like seventeen games or something. They won like all of those games, but um, they they yeah, it's just that you don't have the data. But that data is certainly encouraging when it comes to Terrence Davis, and again speaks to the fact that you know even with his you know s- small shortcomings defensively, he's still a much more effective player than Patrick McCaw. Um, but all this said, it, we, this might be for nothing because with the layoff and the rest that these guys have gotten, I could really see them going like Dan Tony Ball and just playing seven uh, when it, when it matters most for you know, entire series even, uh, you know, it's going to be tiresome. I'm sure to come back and play high octane basketball so soon after just like kind of ramping up in a training camp. But I think the, the fact that you have a lot of young legs on this team and and OG and Pascal and and Norm, like I think they can probably withstand to just go to seven. Um, but Davis, I think should be the eight if he, if they are going to go that deep. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the other factors that could be interesting with the shutdown too, is just like, did Terrence Davis, watch a whole bunch of film and make a leap that you might expect to see between the first and second year for a player. Like maybe mm-hmm. his decision-making will be 
even better than than I'm anticipating uh, just because of that. So there's there there are a lot of factors of that I think will be interesting to watch as as things get restarted. I haven't really considered that the idea of like breakouts like breakout seasons taking place in this eight games <laughs> it's like oh that guy got really good during the time um and then like a whole new crop of most improved players it's like a double crop of players for this year um that'd be fun here's hoping uh, hopefully the rust is not too intense but uh brad the rust is certainly not intense for you you're on your game all the damn time whenever you're on this podcast <laughs> or doing any of your work uh thank you so much for for joining me on today's show where can people check out your work Check me out at YouTube. Uh, I'm too much hoops on there, and I do breakdowns of the Raptors defense specifically. I'm on my last two games of the Raptors 2019 championship run, uh, breaking down their wins from that. And then once the uh, the seeding games start, I'm going to be breaking down Raptors wins and probably some other interesting games as well from uh, from top contenders around the league. So check me out there, and check me out on uh, Twitter at at two underscore much underscore hoops. Fantastic. You are the best, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You can find me at Woodley Sean. Please subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's very much appreciated when you go ahead and do that. Also, listen to my other podcast, uh, Basketball with Katie Heindel. New episodes every Thursday. Thank you so much. Uh, there'll be a new episode up tomorrow. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash basketball with two H's. Four bucks gets you in there. We are well on our way to doing bonus uh, mailbag episodes as well. So if you want to uh, toss us a few shekels over there, it would be very much appreciated. And you'll get some wonderful stuff from Katie and I, including our Discord chat, where Katie often posts photos of Rashid Wallace and things like that. Uh, that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you again on Thursday as Yasmin from the Dishes and Dimes podcast is going to join us to talk all about the Raptors offense in more depth. Uh, That'll be a lot of fun. We'll talk to you then on another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.